Magic Without Fears Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Yeah, hit roll on this. Why not? Here we are. So this Shakespeare documentary had, you know, them looking out the letters and reversing letters to create Masonic symbols and stuff. It was, it was, jesse fratter c that turned me on to it last night and i checked it out i was like oh I, i'm not gonna sleep but i did sleep and, <laughs> but then was like well i'm gonna treat myself today to a three-hour documentary on shakespeare because who doesn't like obviously we we all love that period and roger bacon and all that uh, rosicrucian freemasonic early days is fascinating but we also just love shakespeare right we just love shakespeare. oh heck yeah yeah like, i've got i've got way too much shakespeare rolling around in my head already yeah oh god yeah have you ever done any in like any sort of form um in college uh i went to college at southern oregon university and um that place is i hear oregon known. has a shakespeare festival yeah it's in it's in the same town yeah so so yeah i went to it in grade eight. eight. Oh yeah grade <laughs> eight we went like every trip. year growing up so uh, so yeah, I've been to um, I've been to a lot of Shakespeare, and when we were, and when I was going to college there, they had a really good Shakespeare class, and so, like I've done parts of Macbeth and parts of Hamlet and parts of, I want to say like Twelfth Night. Which one has the bear? Is that Twelfth Night? <laughs> Which one has the bear? Oh yeah. Um. <laughs> there's there's a few of them that I get mixed up, you know. Uh, there's like the one that has the bear, and then there's the one that, that has the twins. That one which the witches that no one likes. Well, that's Macbeth. Everybody likes the witches. <laughs> I know. I'm joking. That's like <laughs> the one everyone likes. Actually, my I have a little story about that. So in grade eight, that was every grade year in Walder School, a grade eight class does a Shakespeare play every year, full play mm -hmm. too. They do the whole thing. And uh, there was only three guys in our class, or two guys, really, because um, one was Japanese and was sort of checking out. He had discovered uh, booze, so he was sort of checking out. Um, but uh, we got, wrote down our top three choices for what we wanted to be, and I wrote down which number one, which number two, which number three. I thought that was very clever. I'm like, that way they have to make me a witch because my top three choices are the top three witches. And the teacher, to my surprise, was like, no, you can't be a witch at all because there's no, no, no men have ever been witches and a man can't be a witch under any circumstances. But, but so that's what she but, said in 1994. 
Well, that, but that's like wrong on multiple levels. Like, first of all, here's the kicker. So, you know what she cast me as? Actors. No, here, here's the kicker, bro. So she oh, therefore, wow. therefore, she cast me as Hecate. Like the topic? goddess of the witches. Is Hecate so, even in Macbeth? Yeah, Hecate shows up and addresses the witches. Oh, man. And it was a beautiful oh, thing. And I nailed it with my like waist length black hair and robe that I already had. And it, I did, of course, like, and I invoked Hecate. And, um, but of course the irony is like, you can't be one of the witches cause you're a guy, but you'll, you hear you're the goddess of magic. <laughs> yeah. It's just of, like, I, you know, I, the- she, she, I couldn't get my teacher to see <laughs> the irony of it at all. And she was just like obtuse to it. And she was a great teacher otherwise, but like, it's funny how even the people we, we rely on to teach us things can still be <laughs> critically flawed. In their no, critical it, I kind of suspect every human on the planet has some critical flaw. Oh yes, I hope so. But we're not we're all sinners. I hope so too, but, because but that let let it not be one so ironically silly. Let men be witches. Let men be witches. I mean, and, men were and witches. goddesses. <laughs> we're right. Mean, yeah, I mean. But not only that, uh, Shakespeare didn't even use uh, male actor or female actors. So all of those witches would have been played by men anyhow. Great point. I'm sure I will I will let Mrs. Willoughby uh, know your additional point when I, if I encounter yeah, her again. If Mrs. Willoughby is listening to this. <laughs> well, she was pretty cool. Like when I turned in my grade eight book report by or biography, you have to write a biography for English in grade eight. I did it on Aleister Crowley trying to shock her and everyone else in the lower school. And she just saw, I was like, oh, Aleister Crowley, how delightful. You know, he, I was like, what, what? You're meant to be shocked, shocked. And she was just like, oh, well, he had lots to do with Steiner and all that whole bunch. I can tell you all about it over lunch. And I was like, Jesus, <laughs> that was when I started to really realize there was more to Walder's school than I realized. Oh, you got to go to a wall. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we talked about K that through before. 12. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty so- exciting. For those who don't know, we did do a, a podcast when I was up at Chris Bennett's place. We did a lovely two-hour conversation. I was new to Zoom, but also it did record, just only recorded 17 minutes. Um, and I don't know why. Uh, right now, we had some trouble connecting with my, I had to restart the computer and all these things. I think Zoom doesn't like it when you're late, but it also doesn't like it when you uh, have too much magical power between the two talkers, right? It's just I think too much. It, yeah, it's we're just, we're incompatible with technology. It's... <laughs> I mean, that whole thing on Oak Island in the Shakespeare documentary, to bring it back to the main topic, clearly we plan to talk about, which is Shakespeare treasures. Um, oh, Shakespeare treasures. <laughs> Three hours of Shakespeare um, treasures. <laughs> one of the things when they're going to the, the part of the island that corresponds, according to this theory, with um, Hesed, Mercy, uh, in the swamp, they had to drain the swamp. But like every time they went out there, all their electrical devices were short-circuiting and, and not working and stuff like that. So that. That's interesting. I mean, I guess the Ark of the Covenant is just too powerful. Or it's just British engineering. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it is a it is a swamp. And, you know, there could be lots of reasons, I guess, why technology would, would not work. Um, yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah, I guess um, I don't know a whole lot about the Oak Island uh, legend. I've read about it a couple times but i've never gotten into the tv show or watched documentaries or any of that kind of stuff so i'm not really sure like what's the big deal with it like there's treasure 
Oh, well, so it, it would, it's supposed to have not only the Templar treasures like the Grail and the Ark of the Covenant, but also all of Shakespeare's original manuscripts uh, coded in mercury. And that's what this documentary shows you. If you slip paper into, into Quicksilver, um, apparently it actually coats the page and effectively preserves it for um, basically forever. And I didn't realize huh. that. And this is actually, that was actually one of the coolest things because I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't be saying it in a, on a actual show if it wasn't vetted by a scientist. Like, yeah, they show you them <laughs> dipping a page in mercury. Like, that would be a great way to preserve our diaries, of course. It would also make them dangerous to read in the future or keep around you. Yeah, and is it specifically like the type of paper that uh, Shakespeare would have been using? Because he would have been using, yeah, like... Uh, I don't know if it would work on regular uh, duotang paper, but you can try if you got a bunch of mercury. Well, I'll just start collecting. I'm going to start yeah. hitting the thrift stores and getting some some uh, thermometers and Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you get the paper out of the mercury later? Well, they just showed you dipping it. They I don't know, man. There's a whole process. They're probably you can probably check it out. I'm sure. I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure this came, documentary came out a while back and I'm glad that Fred Rusey told me to watch it. It was really really uh, you know, sinfully pleasurable to see all the decoding of the writings and and using uh yeah, stenographia and looking like there's like, but this is not an ink, a complete Hebrew word for the tabernacle, which would be, uh, you know, Aron Habrit. There's no Yod there, but then they're like, what about that like apostrophe on the line above? That could be it. And then Tobias Churton chimes in, who's because he's there, of course. And he's uh -huh. like, and it, there at the beginning of the sentence, you see I, V, D at the beginning of that word. So that's a Yud that's sort of suggesting that. And they're like, oh, crazy. It's like, yeah, it's, you you know how this sort of stuff is. It's so fun once you actually do get into it. But if it doesn't lead you to anything, chances are it's because there's nothing there to be led to. But there probably actually is a treasure buried at Oak Island. Like people did bury treasures. The Templars probably mm -hmm. did go bury treasure there. And like it, like the pit that they've been digging at, the money pit as they call it, like it is booby trapped and people die. All, they've died many times throughout the hundred plus years it's been excavated. So how deep is the pit? That's what they're trying to find out, right? And they've like scuba dived under the water. It's a, it's, it is a remarkable place. It's, it's well, if anyone does want to spend a, a couple hundred hours like absorbing a fun adventure, it is a, it is a fun adventure and it'll probably go on for quite some time. Well, yeah, I mean, in the old world, at least in Europe, there's tons of, you know, treasure buried all over the place, which is probably one of the reasons why uh, treasure discovery is such a popular topic in grimoires, right? I mean, I, I know people have been talking about that a lot. That's a really good point. Here, yeah, I mean, because they didn't have banks. So where are you going to put your treasure? Are you just going to bury a hole in the backyard? Yeah. Deposit it with the gnomes. <laughs> Amen. Um, yeah. But, you know, like out here, we don't really have a history of people like hoarding gold and treasure as much. So, no, just Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I've heard, I mean, you know, you hear stories every once in a while of like some crazy person who's like burying all their silver on their property or something. Okay. Maybe crazy is a strong word. Some, overly cautious individual who has converted their wealth to precious metals and is burying it on their property. But we need, you know, we need like the millennia of buildup where there's a lot of these individuals doing it all over the place in order to get kind of like the density of treasure. 
buried in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is though, it, what you mentioning the, the magical seeking of these things, it's, we do find amazing things that are hidden, such as like the D, the lost D papers that were discovered in a secret contraption in a tr in a trunk, right? That was relatively oh, yeah, yeah. recent. So like the, I believe the original Golden Dawn people wouldn't have, didn't have those. They were found after, if I'm not mistaken. I can't recall um, exactly because. I can't remember either. Well, we have, yeah. so you're talking about the stuff that was post Casabon. Yeah, yes, the Heptarchia Mystica, I believe it was, hmm. that was discovered in, in a false bottom of a trunk that was sold at auction, and this guy found it. And, well, that's and, pretty badass. That's badass. Then, that's what I'm course, saying. You Super know, uh, badass. We've and got we've all been, those. We got to work yeah. with that material. I was trained on it in the Golden Dawn. We worked through it. Like, it's oh, great cool. material. It's awesome. very great material. <laughs> what else do we yeah, have? Yeah, but we also have, uh, like, all of those grimoire scholars who are going through all of the old catalog stuff and you know, the, the piles and piles of manuscripts that we've got in all of uh, the libraries in Europe, and they're constantly coming up with cool things. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, like um, Dr. Saif, who's coming out with the uh, new translation of the Picatrix out of Arabic. Mm, exciting. The last, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, but the last interview I, I heard with her, she was talking about how like, oh, I was done. But then I discovered another Picatrix manuscript that had been lost. And mm -hmm. so I had to redo my critical edition and start Jeez. over. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's ongoing. You know, um, all of these magical texts were were just sort of relegated to the dustbins of history. And they've been miscategorized and miscatalogued and sometimes just kind of like forgotten in dusty corners. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh... Something I, I just uh, took copious notes through three and a half hours of uh, is it is it Doctor I think it's Doctor Atrell and and Doctor Sludge going oh, yeah. through going over Kabbalah and Platonism and Sludge made a point which have been academics we we try to make this point to people all the time to encourage them to uh, spend all their money or bankrupt themselves going to university in the in that like the, there's more the majority of kabbalistic manuscripts are still untranslated it's the same for aramaic spells that i used to look at in the second century like the stuff i was looking at no one's ever translated it, a lot of mm -hmm. it and there's tons of it and there's more of the kabbalistic stuff untranslated and as dr justin sledge pointed out actually in fact the majority of it's never even been transscribed yet let alone translated and then released which is, is, oh, man. is this is, is the and, case for it's still a yeah. very lush field for people to to do academic and scholar well, let's call it scholarly work in is mm -hmm. yeah learn, go learn these languages a lot of them aren't that hard some of them are um you know arabic's tricky hebrew and aramaic are simple languages latin's pretty easy greek is hard um but like yeah. go do it just like you know bit, bit by bit like there's good books that people like us can recommend and you can go do it and then translate new documents or just even go to the libraries and, and just retranscribe ones. I think that's how uh, Tarl Warwick uh, did it with someone and a bunch of people are doing that. I think Stephen Skinner does that. He has a guy in London. He'll go and transcribe the document, send it to Skinner. Skinner will put out his corrected one based on his knowledge and the other one, the and original transcription. The top. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am, um... I tried doing that with a uh, with a manuscript 
a Hebrew astrological manuscript that I found in a French library that had been scanning all of their stuff online. And I was like, oh, this looks so cool. Like here, you know, I cool. glyphs. I can get some of these words out. But the whoever wrote that damn thing, their handwriting was so bad that yeah. I could not decipher it. I couldn't transcribe it. I, I, I could... I could get like one word out of 20 probably it wasn't enough for me but again i'm no i'm no expert in uh crappy medieval hebrew handwriting yes sure it's it's a thing yeah. it's a thing when i when i st was beginning my evelyn underhill research for my dissertation with nicholas goodrick clark my first step was to work with some other professors in the belfast public archives on victorian well 1700 to, to early 20th century uh, publican ledgers um, and he was a blind professor who needed someone to read that who had a background in these things. And so I had, I, I was learning a lot from him because I would even sometimes describe a word I couldn't make out or, or an abbreviation I wasn't familiar with. And he would tell me what it was. And that was all preparatory to me then getting hope, planning to go to Cambridge and go through Underhills and related stuff. Of course, Nicholas died. And so that all ended. But the, the, the skill set in reading old writing in each language is remarkably important and with some it's it's very hard like german's very hard like i'm going to stick when it comes to old handwriting and old old orthography i'm going to stick with english and maybe hebrew aramaic because you can only you can only master so many of those yeah it's true i was actually just talking to somebody who was uh complaining about reading um uh like old german black letter yeah and i was like i don't know i mean black letter just takes some getting used to I'm, yeah. I'm cool with it I'm, yeah the that but that form again but when then you go to handwritten ver variety of you know, that then it's a whole other beast yeah. right with their abbreviations yeah, yeah. and then just the That's older gr german grammatical style language like like fluent speakers regular people will tell you they can't understand old high like high german or middle high yeah german. Oh, they it's, can't it's weird I've, can't. I've tried that and i can't get it either yeah it's if we languages think if we think English gets crazy with reading critical theory stuff, in Germany, it's not expected that a native fluent speaker will even be able to read any academic writing. Like that's just <laughs> their basic, the basic kind of academic style is just too advanced in, in simple German for the mm -hmm. average citizen to read. And that's something we don't really have here. Here in the West, of course, in English, if if you're writing something that a native English speaker can't read at all, then you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're yeah. certainly not being serviceable, but in, in German academia, it's almost expected that you need to know the, that's true. the critical style. Anyway, but so for people who don't know much about you, you are Arnamancy, the, the, the great yeah. and wise, famous Arnamancy shouting yeah, out at I go into by the neurosphere eric, eric reverend yeah. eric shouting out reverend into the neurosphere from portland oregon which has mm -hmm. been a very peaceful city for the past year <laughs> oh we, we don't that. even need to get into that no, anymore no, but we don't it, it was uh it was kind of blown out of it was actually really really blown out of proportion a lot of the the protests and stuff was happening in a very small part of the city it wasn't yeah. it wasn't really that bad I have, I have a lot of friends there so that's what they that's what they all said and even my, my friends in seattle said the same thing so it's like yeah, yeah. the media's gone crazy media's lost its mind that's why it is the age of the podcast the age i feel like a lot of podcasts have kind of lost their mind too it, it well, feels like just then, people have lost their minds lately it's a it's an age of madness is what it is 
Yes. Well, <laughs> thank God there's a cultist to make it all make sense. You know, yeah, you know, we all make sense. you know that, yeah, you know, you're in a strange time when occultists start to make more sense than other things. Yeah, I think everybody should probably like, you know, wake up and pay attention to the fact that people like us are making sense and then be like, oh, crap, we let the uh -oh. real world go too far. Yeah. <laughs> Time to rein when, it in. Folks. When we're more logical than mass media. Yeah. <laughs> when Gematria makes more sense than the headlines. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the last time that this happened was probably like right before the 30 years war and we don't want to do that again. <laughs> hey, that's what gave birth to Rosicrucianism in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, Rosicrucianism, the 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 third of those was published, uh, what, like two years, one year before the Thirty Years War started. But the Thirty yeah. Years War was just like, it was as Offers. messy or messier than World War One, like in terms of like, why the heck are we fighting a war? <laughs> Yeah, folks, if we could, if we could like keep the insanity going on now to less than thirty years, that would just be swell. Yeah, I'm already really bored like of it. That. I'm already me bored too. Of it. And yeah. I don't want to see like rampaging armies like pillaging villages mm. and stuff. That's not. That's yeah. not cool. It's the opposite of cool. I mean, that's that's why we have apocalypse now and full metal jacket and platoon. It's so that we can see it, engage with it, and then it ends we get back to our lives and we can have that feeling we're like oh yeah we don't want to do this yeah it's fun for two to three hours on the speaks on the screen that's it <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm in, i'm i'm in portland and uh you know i think today hopefully was sort of the turning point of the united states kind of starting to calm down a little bit i know that you're up in canada i want to apologize for us being such a shitty neighbor recently um we'll try to be better i actually have just got off the phone right when you called i just got through to the usps postal service is that what you guys call it you're American. so i got we just called it the us yeah. the usps yeah yeah so they finally got through to me and i got to talk to a person with the united states postal service because because allison chikoski had had shipped a, a thing um for my mom um mm -hmm. but but the address uh the apartment number you put is the unit number and so it, it's not going to get here so i was on hold with them for three and a half hours and we figured out that i have to stop it some once it gets to canada but i got to talk to the the u.s postal service and she was so frazzled because she sounded so downtrodden this poor woman working at usps she was like she answered the phone like it like she was part way turning into a robot and like her soul was dying. So I was like, I put out as much effort as I could. And then you messaged you were going to be a few minutes late. I was like, perfect, because this woman needs my love. And by the end <laughs> of it, I had her laughing and giggling. I, I did, I did my, I maybe inserted a few little, my, a few little humanitarian political points. Like I did mention how much money our government's giving everyone like two grand a month. I mean, to most people who need it. Whereas like mm -hmm. y'all are getting next to nothing or effectively Focus. nothing. Yeah. And I was, yeah. she, she was like, what, really? Tell me that, tell me more about us. And she like talked to me for 15 minutes and I was like, you guys like politics aside, like you guys got to demand money, like actual money because people are losing their jobs and houses. And it's, that's insane. Like uh, that's, it's not a political issue. It's a humanitarian issue. And your whole country, in my opinion, could unite and be like, yo, Where's my money? Give me some money. I wish, I wish we could somehow get through to people that 
regardless of politics, we have to have a baseline of like compassion and humanitarianism. Like, I feel like that shouldn't be partisan at all, but it yeah, is. Right? I, it's, I mean, that's I crazy. Just, uh, that's, that's the crazy thing that you guys got to somehow get past that or something because like, you can't tell people they can't work and give them no money and then evict them. That's the, that's a trifecta of insanity that yeah, it could lead to like, that will lead to violence. It already has. It already is. It's going yeah, on. It's yeah. Like, it's, uh, it's like, it's, and we're not done. We're not done. No, it's just to ourselves. Yeah. You know, yeah. you need to be more like Canada in that one way in which you just give people enough to pay their rent and sit in their apartment stoned all day. Violence gone. You know, I have a couple of weird anecdotes about that. Like I was joking with um, another Canadian friend of mine recently. and uh, I thought I was your only Canadian friend. No, I've got five of them. <laughs> You number us, hey? Am I number five? <laughs> yeah, you're number four. <laughs> oh, how elemental. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I was joking about how, you know, as a Freemason, um, I have a lot, you know, Freemasons sort of like uh, are all across the political spectrum, you know, so yeah. I have a lot of friends. Um, well, magicians who, are too, in general. Magicians are too. Yeah. 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 Like, um, radically so. Yeah, although the thing with Freemasons is you don't really talk about it very much, right? And it would be nice if magicians didn't either. God. Yeah. Although magicians, why are, yeah, there's just so many. Okay, now, anyhow, let me go yeah. back to this story. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, when, uh, when our previous president got kicked off of Twitter and kicked off of all these social media platforms, yeah. all of uh, his, like, diehard followers like flocked to things like Telegram and Signal and all of these other platforms, some of, some of which are like encrypted and safe, some of, it, some of which just like promise to be completely deregulated, et cetera, et cetera. So the thing that has been super strange to me is, you know, because I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a information security guy. So I've been using encrypted. Really? Yeah. So I've been using encrypted platforms for a really, really long time. Like I've been trying to get my friends to move to stuff like Signal and Telegram for years and years and years yeah. and years. And it is just, it's like pulling teeth. Uh, except now. Like now. Now, now everyone watching, gets it. I, it. But it's all like these old guys that I'm like, oh, I always suspected that you were some sort of like super freaky conservative. You know, because I have a lot of older friends who are Masons and they're all on Telegram now. And they're all on Signal. Yeah. And I was just sort of lamenting about how like I can't get I can't talk to people in the United States about moving to Signal or Telegram right now because it is such a like far right It sounds like a far right dog whistle. Yeah. And and uh so my Canadian <laughs> friend is like you guys will just like politicize everything, won't you? I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. kind of an American, that's but, an American thing. And he's like, what, do you even politicize toilet paper? And I stopped and I remembered earlier this year. I was like, yeah, we yeah, did that you did. But you know, I, here's, here's how I deal with it, brother. I keep in mind that it's not y'all Americans doing this. What it's really the media through the CIA's project Mockingbird and, and, and psychic control from their psychic spies that they still have underground at some area. Do you like you how the, I just do you like how do you like how I just dove I just dove into I just, just dragged like, you down oh God, I just dragged you down yeah I know right exactly no you're on you're on the goofball Canadian podcast that is yeah. that is all about like yeah I, I mean I said this last time actually for the first time it's like honestly if this could somehow morph into like the one occultist comedy podcast I would be so fine with that like you I would just come turn. on here all the time I know so many bad jokes. 
oh hit me up did you hear some of the crazy ones on the previous episode with uh paul oh my god like like he was like absolutely <laughs> or, or the oh, i can't remember them i'm so bad at remembering dad style jokes but okay give me yeah hit me, hit i know no, no, now no. now that i'm on the spot they're all they're all, gone. all right. but uh you know i do enjoy sarcasm and um stupid jokes so i will make sure that if i think of anything while we're talking i will interrupt you with sarcastic jokes all right okay. i'm a little more facetious okay. myself but that's okay I, we uh, balance America, each other we don't have a difference between um facetism and sarcasm oh well here uh we let me let me uh fascism and sarcasm but not fascists let fascism <laughs> you can't do fascism it sounds like yeah, something yeah. else so why not um let <laughs> let me uh connect connect cannot explain a explain a break cannot explain okay. to you canadian explain how would you do it okay can explain uh, i'll can explain it to you yeah can explain i'll can explain it to you for this from a play that i love Sarcasm is mean. Facetiousness is facetism. <laughs> uh, yeah, facetious is flip. Is oh. is, is flip. Okay. Sarcasm is mean. It's, oh well, then you know what? I would like to not be sarcastic. I yeah. guess I would rather be facetious. Yeah. Like, then this uh, is well, proper definition we're talking. I'm not talking out of my. I'm house. I'm gonna I'm gonna strive to be uh, facetious rather than sarcastic. It's yeah, like so like it's like you know sarcastic like a, would be like, like a vice uh, and a virtue. Yeah, so if you know we're on video here as well for for my special people to whoever see this early or late. But like you know yeah sarcasm would be like oh I love your mustache. That's a little mean. It's a little mean. Oh, that would be it's mean. a little mean. That's that's sarcasm though. I love your mustache cuz clearly I don't actually say I'm not saying I love it. But if I'm facetious I'm like oh it would be more like oh I love your mustache. Right. Wait. So it's like I, I, I'm still joking and you don't uh -huh. know if I actually love it, but I'm not being mean. There's no meanness in how I just said that. It's just flip. Right. And it's just if you're, silly. If you're if you're if you're facetious, I can just in my head, I'm going to be like, well, I'm just going to assume he loves my mustache because yeah, sure. of course he does. The best thing to do is always when someone's sarcastic or facetious is to take them literally. Yeah. <laughs> it amplifies the humor. <laughs> <laughs> right like um yeah. i used to have a comeback i developed when i was young and still went to clubs and dated and all that stuff you know the things you give up as you're about to approach 40 mm -hmm. 10 days or so about to 40. approach 40 i'm you're turning 40 in like 10 days i know i'm, I'm are you kidding i'm near to death i that's i mean you're 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 still a baby okay you're just young spring <sighs> <laughs> Well, no, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, what was it? What was what was the thing I would say? I would take people literally. I can't remember. If I remember, I'll let you know. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, take take people literally if they're mocking you. It's always the best. I'm going to. Um, so, uh, do you remember some of the things that we talked about the first time we recorded? Like what? Because uh, I know we had a really good conversation, and afterwards I was kind of like, "Oh, dang!" Yeah. <laughs> well, no, so, it, it, yeah, such a shame. Thank you. I just that, looked up, and I'm so glad we're actually recording. Okay, yeah, it's recording. 
Yeah, I, I see the little light going. So. It was good because we, we got, but you know, we got to know each other last time and that was awesome because mm-hmm. I didn't know much about you. I just, I really loved what I saw of your work online. And oh, I did join, I joined your Patreon live on the recording and you thought that was funny. And I was like, oh yeah, so, that's right. That's yeah, right. You told that. me about your Thank Patreon. You. I didn't realize how many occultists had Patreons and I went to your Patreon, like just followed it right then. And I was like, I'm on your Patreon. Oh, yeah. So folks, join, join Arnamancy's Patreon. It's at, yeah, at patreon.com slash arnamancy. Yeah. E- easy um, to find. Yeah. So there you yeah. go. And you do a lot of, um, from what I can tell, let's, let's talk about it now that we're there. Um, okay. You do a lot of sigil work. Yeah, I guess um, I did an introduction to sigils class. Um, uh, probably, Jesus, I guess in 2019 and i did it live at this local occult shop um and it wasn't something that i was planning on doing like i guess i don't really consider myself some sort of like sigil based wizard although pretty much every magician is incredibly sigil based we just associate them so much with chaos magic these days that a lot of us don't really think about like you know solomon seals or sigils Mm. uh you know the the Zoso banner behind you, those are all sigils. Like sigils, sigils do have like a really broad meaning. Do you dig it? Do you I dig do, it? I love it. I've yeah. been paying, I've been- I've, I've been I using this as a traveling altar cloth for myself since I bought it in Galway, Ireland, 2005. I, you know, yeah. if you ever find yourself back there, pick, pick, pick one up for me. I think there's this new way to get things uh, called the internet, you should try it. Uh, we don't get that in Amer- in America. <laughs> No, in in Portland, you've legalized all <laughs> drugs, but the internet's verboten. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, that was crazy. We decriminalized. You did that. You everything. did that. Oh, yeah. dude, it's so good that you did that because now we have an experiment. Like, look at the stats out of out of Portugal. Like, I know. You know, if 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 it's not if like, I really think that that might be on to something. Like, you know, we have we've had safe injection sites here as a controversy, but then Gaber Mate here started curing uh, hardcore drug addicts with ayahuasca. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Gabor Mate's the man when it comes to that stuff. But he was so successful, the Canadian government had to shut him down because it was going to cost, they were going to lose their payouts and their money. Because, you know, politicians mm-hmm. make money when they do initiatives and they need poor, these. they need the problems here at the downtown east side. They need those problems because they make <laughs> money off those problems. And if he's going to actually start curing hardcore lifelong crack addicts, which he was, like curing them with ayahuasca, like that cost politicians then lose personal money and, and special interest groups lose money so they shut them down but like if what if what happens in portland proves to be a success that could really dominoes could fall like with the whole world like a lot of the west might just go along with that too just like happened with the same sex union thing i it was my diocese in the anglican church that pushed that through at the synod wow and as soon as and like i was there on the ground working with my spiritual director who was one of the bishops and gay um, to make that happen. And Bishop Michael Ingham, who had a lot of support from his tight buddies, uh, Desmond Tutu and Dalai Lama, and that they really like were doing what they could to influence the change in mentality. And of course, the most rich churches who were conservative bailed from the diocese. And then there was the African Anglican bishops calling for the death of, of our bishops for heresy and, and promoting, you know, you know, the evils of homosexuality. And they were writing to like uh, Rowan, the bishop, Archbishop Rowan in Canterbury saying, condemn Bishop Michael Ingham, condemn the other bishops in British Columbia. And Rowan in Canterbury was like, yeah, we don't really work that way anymore since that whole like, you know, <laughs> Reformation thing. <laughs> why, um, 
Why and, are... But then all the churches did it. And then all the yeah. churches in America yeah. followed right after. So quickly it made our heads spin. And it was it's great. It's baffling. You know, um, I wasn't really raised in a, in a Christian church at all. So it's yeah, just baffling. I converted at 18. Oh, yeah. From, I, I, I was, I mean, as a, I was as done with Wicca and Druidry. <laughs> uh, as an outsider it's just baffling to uh to see how much all of these people are so terrified of what other people are doing with their junk like between consenting adults who the hell cares who cares you know, what's in their like are you really that worried about it i'm barely interested in what your gender is barely i'm and i'm very uninterested in what you do arnie with much love with your junk. <laughs> I really don't want to know. I don't want to. Well, know. I'm currently wearing pants. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Watch out that laptop, you know, <laughs> I don't um, want to have a, have a, what's his what name? Wiener the, scenario. What was the story I was telling though, before we got off on this tangent? Oh yeah. Sigil magic. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say sex tapes, but no sigil magic. Sorry. Sigil magic. But yeah. So, so I taught this class um, and it was really well received and the class was like pretty easy to put together. You know, it's a very, very introductory level class. So, and it's not just for chaos magic um, because, you know, one of the things that I normally do with sigils is planetary magic, yeah, which I think is where sigils are the most fun, you know, cause there's really you know, you could do colored markers and shit. Oh yeah. Colors. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm GD. So I'm all about bright colors. Oh Let's yeah. Yeah. It. I yeah. mean, and the thing is, like, if you have some Golden Dawn background, like I, you know, I have some like solo Golden Dawn stuff, but then you also have like planetary magic from other traditions, you've got even more colors to work with. Yeah. So like when I, you know. Throwing a I, little Walder school in there and it's a party. Oh man. You know, it's like, oh, I have to. I. And I, you are pink on, and you are blue and you get a color and you get a color and you get a color. Yeah. I just got this great package of rainbow taper oh. candles from uh oh on the internet <laughs> you just gave me a rudolph steiner on <laughs> yeah um so that class went really well and i realized that i enjoyed teaching um so the next thing i did was a planetary magic series and, and again like everything um everything really deals with sigils. And even when you're doing planetary magic, like if you're doing like stuff out of Agrippa or the Picatrix, uh, you're gonna be using sigils of some sort, even if it's, you know, copying like existing sigils out of the Picatrix to, you know, make amulets, or if you're using like Agrippa's methods to create new sigils, he's got all these great methods in there. Um, and then even if you get into like the fourth book of occult philosophy, which may or may not be by Agrippa, who the hell knows, um, that has this really crazy method for creating sigils. And as I was working with it and sort of like adapting it to planetary magic, I realized that it was um, what we call a one-way function in cryptology. And then I was sort of like, holy shit, all of the sigil stuff, these are all one-way functions. So most sigil creation methods are methods of um, losing information while adding meaning. Oh, I right? like that. That's, that's so, very well said. Yeah. And, but, but it's, uh, but it's amazing because you can hold up like, uh, hold on. I have like a little tiny sigil of Saturn here that 
You can't even see. Oh, it's such a cute little sigil. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I can hold this up and to you, you look at it and it reminds you of all you, all the Saturn stuff, you know, you're sort of like, oh, Saturn. And you think of like the old man with the scythe and you think about eating babies and you think about like sad stuff and slow stuff and heavy stuff and lead and then lead based paint. Um, but who knows what the hell Saturn makes you think about, but there's a ton of meaning in this, which at some point might've been like a drawing of a scythe or something that ended up losing information, right? So you can't look at it now and be like, oh, that's a scythe. You look at it right now and you say, that's the sigil of Saturn. So meaning has increased while information is yeah. decreased. Or more of a sickle, really, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, all planetary sigils, as we uh, have in a, this is, goes back to, I believe, an original GD lecture for the two equals nine theorists are based on the cross uh, crescent and, uh, yeah. circle 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 yeah crescent yeah. yeah 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 i mean i don't know at least the modern ones are i think if you go back in time they do get a little wonky and wobbly and it's kind of hard to really say that but the way that we all settled on everything that's definitely what they're based on but when you make a sigil with chaos magic or when you make a sigil with like um the kabbalah of nine chambers or something of that nature you are basically putting in a word and as the word goes through the transformation you lose the ability to reverse the word out of the transformation right so that's what makes it a one-way function yes yes that that's you know i mean it makes perfect sense of course um, mm -hmm. um it's just you say it so well you say it oh, so thanks. well you're adding you're adding um layers of semiosis or semiotic symbolic power yeah by removing the details of the meaning in a way yeah, is you just like you said it well so like mm -hmm. yeah of course in, in, i usually draw my sigils based on you know the rc lawman because that's what yeah that's um, do right um, right but that know, uses and, the same um it's the same sort of thing right you're still yeah. going to lose yeah. information oh of Although course maybe not as much because eh. you don't really it's hard to reverse engineer them because you don't know what letter they start on so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you draw a circle over the the pedal that mm -hmm. it starts on, and then you trace it to the next letter. And if the next letter is really close in the same line, then you have to do a little squiggle, and mm -hmm. then you go to the next one and you put a, a line at the end. But if you don't know where it starts, it's really yeah, you'd have yeah you couldn't you couldn't decode it without knowing that's a symbol for Bartzabel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then at the same time, so like I was thinking about it. Um, and, uh, you know, like uh, Johannes Trithemius has his steganographia and his polygraphia, which yes. uh, uses two-way functions. Yes. Right? Because with the steganographia, you basically have a function uh, that he, you know, lays out for you. Like, take the first letter of every word or take the first letter of every third word or something like that. Um, so you can, uh, you can encode information. Um, that can be decoded. And then it can be decoded later. However, yeah. I think that kind of when you encode the information, you lose meaning that way because you take like an actual sentence and you encode it into like a string of barbarous words that you might not even be able to say anymore. And it mm. might not have the same kind of like cool visual effect or I don't know. I have to think about that a little bit more. But mm. um, so what I'm what I'm working on now or what I'm getting ready to release right now um is a class on uh cryptography and magic oh that's so cool yeah i'm, I'm really excited about it it's um 
it's going to be some math and it's going to be some concepts and some history and stuff, but then it's going to be like, here are techniques that I'm using. Hey, math is good for you. (laughs) I love math. Um, But yeah, like I've been using, and I've been using the techniques. I've been using uh, techniques to, I mean, some of the stuff that it allows you to do, for instance, is create cryptographic keys using sacred texts and then encode, um, encode your like sigils or intent or sacred names or messages to the gods or whatever using like cryptographic keys out of you know from sacred texts which uh which is fun you know it's it's an interesting technique it's you can you can do all sorts of weird combinations with the various things so i'm i'm still playing around with that but it's uh it's been really fascinating to uh to look at how this stuff can be sort of advanced beyond like the level that uh, Trithemius and then Agrippa got to when they were working with this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love that you're advancing it. That's uh, that's great. And now a word from our sponsors. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. It's, I, I, I would probably not count as a heavy sigil magician myself, I think. Um, I mean, I, and you wouldn't consider, would you consider uh, working with the Shem angels and their sigils planetary sigil work, or is that something different in your mind? I guess it's, yeah, I mean, it's definitely planetary, yeah. right? Because the... I um, like the colors myself. Like, I have a Yeah, the colors are great, but, uh, but also um, and, uh, the Shem Hamafarash are all associated with um decans or yeah or more than decans i guess but yeah yeah that i would say yeah degrees less than less than decans yeah. they're they're, yeah. they're small chunks of de- degrees yeah. but yeah i would definitely consider any sort of magic that uses sigils which you are if you're doing golden dawn style stuff at all yeah i mean that's the thing you can't yeah. escape sigils so you can't, it's, you know, but, but I'm yeah. definitely not one of these people who sits around all day drawing sigils. <laughs> well, actually the main yeah, time yeah. I, I, when I yeah. say, sigil I mean, magic which is... I, again, I don't, I have nothing against that. I just, I think, mm-hmm. I think that's great that people are so into it. It's really beautiful. Um, yeah. There is other 
disciplines within magic though to focus on that's what that's the that's the right i don't want to give the impression that uh that sigil magic is about creating sigils you know it's it's about using them also well and, yeah. and it's 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 sort of a core skill in magic like we're all we all use them yeah it just you can't it's inescapable it, it really it is. is it really is um mm. <laughs> this uh <laughs> why did we both get sort of quiet and like introspective they're like uh because we thought sigils. of all the work we have to do i know it's like <laughs> oh, thinking of all the work we have to do <laughs> um i mean like my favorite way to work with sigils honestly the main thing i do with sigils uh, besides all the mandatory stuff i have to use them for is um i heard that um cheers brother cheers cheers it's uh delicious lacroix lacroix yep. that's a such a such a yankee thing we have some other versions up here i think we have lacroix as well but whatever um the main thing i do is uh first for me like the the most the part of sigil work that i enjoy where i really come to life and feel like get excited is when i'm working with the spirit you know in evocation mm -hmm. or astral work um you know whether through scrying in the spirit vision or traveling in the spirit vision and when i'm working with the spirit i always i get them to keep create a sigil with me um and sometimes that'll yeah. be me drawing in the diary book where page where i'm that i'm using for transcription with my communications with that spirit but i get them to direct me and often sometimes it might even be like especially if i'm doing an entheogenic working which can go on for some time um, or, or sober, <laughs> either way, um, they're different. They have different benefits and pluses and minuses, in my opinion, you know, it is very hard to focus sometimes with certain workings, but at the same time, what you see can be much more visual, <laughs> physical, oh, yeah. visual, yeah. visual, right. But it can mm -hmm. also be more challenging. And that's where you get really like, like, like leech and them are always saying it's sort of shamanic. Cause you're like, I've got like the, the incense. I'm like wafting my face and I'm like, dripping balls and I'm like I'm saying the invocation over and over for sometimes hours um and then you know I connect the being and it's like wow I'll actually see something sometimes I'll go in astral and then I'll come out of it astral and I'll like open my eyes I'm like oh I see something there that's like I see a portal of light with light streaming through it sometimes and there's like this shape there and that's like that's you know that's five grams of mushrooms for you yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but it, and it's very hard it's very exhausting to do it that way but you do get to have a f more physical experience than you might otherwise now of course those right. experiences still happen soberly in sober ritual and, and sometimes they're a lot more smooth they take less time often they can be a lot easier on the on the system um but sometimes it's actually a lot easier just you know to just ask the question and stuff but either way i'll often be drawing that sigil in my diary for quite a while as the spirit gives me different things to do and then i'll have a really rough shape of a sigil and then i'll take it from there onto a like a canvas or a piece of wood or whatever the material is and then paint it more things and often if i'm really hardcore about the being i'm working with i'll re-invoke that being while creating that sigil and do it in a circle and then i right. have what is quite a powerful talisman for me to then communicate like if i look when i look at one of these sigils that i create last one i did was for midir the king of the fairies using one of yates's evocations that he wrote right which mm -hmm. is super cool right like yeah that let's use a cool. yates evocation talk to midir and get a sigil that we all of us in the celtic mysteries could work with to, to contact this thing or create your own whatever and yeah you know, when i then when you look at that sigil that you've created it is it is it is so easy to communicate with that spirit wherever it mm -hmm. wherever it exists 
and uh, that's to me like the power of this sort of magic. Like, oh yeah, you're creating, yeah, I totally you're, agree. You're using whatever's in whatever grimoires are written by other magicians that's written down. You're using it to make that initial contact, but you're always going from there, right? And oh, after yeah. that, yeah. after that, you leave often the source text that got you there behind for that working for that spirit because you've got the relationship, and that's where uh, that's where I think a lot of people need to remember magic goes. It's your, like, I've been saying yeah. this a lot to people these days who keep referencing uh, authorities to me. I'm sorry, I've talked a while. I'll, I'll finish this up and see what you think, because a lot of people have asked me certain questions that have led me to the same answer each time recently, which is, don't worry about what those people are saying. All these competing opinions. There's definitely, I love competing voices in magic. We definitely need to create, keep that in, in a hospitable space for competing voices and visions. That's great but it's your magic. It is your magic. It is no one else's magic. Even the people teaching you, people who write the books that you've read, it, it's your magic. Like you're, you are the spark of the divine, creating your greater relationship to that divine source and bathing in that, that communication with your divine self and the divine in nature. Yeah, don't, seriously, the, like Dion Fortune said in the a couple, one or two years ago there's just no room for authority in occultism there really isn't did you just quote an authority well the <laughs> irony is not lost on any of us right as she makes this right, authoritarian right. statement there's no room yeah, for authority. there is no authority in magic there's no room for authority in magic and i say this as dion for non fortuna <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree with you, you know, um, and in fact, you see it even in older works, like the, the Arbitel is very plain about it. It's like, there's so little, um, there's so little ritual in the Arbitel. And it's basically like, here's the sigil that gets you the initial contact. Here's like the tiniest of paragraphs about what you're contacting. Um, and warning, when you contact them, if you do it right, they'll lead you on your own journey. They're going to give you their, they're going to give you a secret name. They're going to give you secret signs, never share them with anybody else. You're now out on your own. So like you see it in a lot of stuff. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like, I think that, uh, you know, I, I usually call the sigils that you're describing. I, I sort of call those received sigils or, or great name sigils, I guess. You're yeah. good at the names, brother. Hey, you know, I am um, master I've been, namer. Uh, I've been uh, speaking English for for <laughs> nigh on <laughs> thirty eight years. You, you're younger than me. You look younger than me. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Magic Without Fears Comedy Hour. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I just brought to you by actually. two for one Odrina Chrome Sales. <laughs> I don't. This is My imaginary year. sponsor is two for one Adrenochrome. <laughs> it's just a little shout out to my uh, buddies uh, all across the political spectrums. <laughs> In case you think that you're gonna uh, hear anything serious here, no, it's just fun and games. Fun and games. Oh, and no, no, I think that we we totally were talking about serious spirit conjuration. That stuff serious, like real, real serious. It's so serious. It's so yeah. serious. You don't even know. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'm being sponsored by LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> that might actually get us, the podcast, into more trouble than my joke sponsorship. They'll be like, we did not endorse that. We did not endorse those guys. Trust us. 
<laughs> I mean, when you think about it, LaCroix means the cross and it's yeah. totally a sigil. It's, it's words indicating a sigil on the can, right? So yeah. it's, it's probably part of some conspiracy. Whereas, but, but could you imagine if, but you know, for sure, we're not going to get a, a cease and desist letter from Maria Abramovich saying, I did not endorse them with my two for one adrenal growth. <laughs> <laughs> Use code Epstein. Oh God. I know, I know. I, I know that if, 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 if even one person laughs, it was laughs, it, it was all worth it. Okay. okay. You know what well, I mean? And I, I know laughed, a lot of it. It was a very nervous and uncomfortable laugh. Good. Let the record show. <laughs> Let the yeah. record show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So are you guys still all <laughs> locked down up there? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's yeah. sort of loosened a bit, uh, as my Uber driver was telling me the other night. Um, like, uh, Ontario is like stay-at-home orders. Quebec mm. is under martial law, like actual. Oh, yeah. Like, tech. I might have ended now, but like actual martial law, um, like police control. Um, and that's Wait, what happened to Free Quebec? the Bloc Québécois we are the free people like they 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 wouldn't have had to go under under complete uh curfew and martial law if they had all just stopped like you know fucking on Speaking tinder all the time oh yeah <laughs> like that's probably what's going on you got all these sexy people out there like well what i don't know it's my it's my ongoing theory that like i get i i had i had three three middle of the night FaceTime messages, which I or calls that I didn't answer. And it was some of my pretty actor friends from Vancouver in Vancouver, who I still haven't seen since I've been here. Cause they're like, we can't see anyone. It's gotta be safe. But you know, the next thing you know, these pretty mofos are mess FaceTiming me at two, 3 AM want to hang out or whatever. Cause their Tinder date left already. I'm like, you're the problem here. You guys are the problem here. Whatever this is like, he won't have coffee in the day at a bar where we can legally meet up. But you're you're like shagging on Facetime, and you're you know you're, they're they're still all fucking dating, and that's yeah, what they're, they're yeah. doing. Like Victor is a vector. Yeah, yeah. My my little little sister is going on all these dates every week and stuff. And I was I asked my other sister, I'm like, well, so is she? You think she's getting close to these people? And she's like, uh huh. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Um, but basically, like my Uber driver was saying, we're not under curfew or law or martial law because we're being safer we're, we're doing better we're doing better than the other provinces and you know um so that's good like you know it, it, there's a reason there's a reason to behave so that oh, yeah. you don't get yeah. punished <laughs> good old socialism <laughs> socialist yeah, guy. like I mean, if we behave yeah. we get to keep having our little freedoms and that's the deal that's the social contract of our country and they're and they're bribing you guys to behave too right? yeah like everyone gets money like money that's for, great. Yeah. It would work. That would work really well here. A lot I'm, of people would be like, what, $2,000 a month if I just like stay home and watch get reruns of Magnum PI? Yeah. Yeah. Like, stoned. yeah, that's, well, that's, it's legal everywhere. So, uh, well, no, here. not in, or not in the entire United yeah. States. Well, no, but, you know, uh, here, um, that's what I meant. That's going to be, I feel like it, I would not be surprised if, uh, if marijuana decriminalization or legalization rolled out nationwide here soon. I mean, I'm so tempted to make a Kamala Harris joke, but I won't. 
Why does? Oh, I mean, you know, she because <laughs> she jailed so many people for pot. I know. And I Biden know. was the one who basically wrote the these all a lot of these laws that he's now pretending to be against. It's just, I, we don't need to get into that because like yeah, let's know. not get into it. No, I, it's I, like everyone knows at this point. Everyone so knows exhausting that exhausting and horrible. It's just yeah. like, oh, why can't we just? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no good solution anymore. We've we've backed ourselves into like so many corners. We like backed ourselves into a corner and we're like, no, wait, there's another corner that's inside this corner. It's just, it's a little insane. Let's go there. And so that's where we are now. I mean, it, it is the, the, the final nail in the coffin of the global illusion of American exceptionalism, really. This, this yeah. idea yeah. that Americans, America and Americans have always been just a, a skosh better than the rest of us like you know right now the whole world even if most of us were like yeah they are sort of better now we're like nah (laughs) those people are (laughs) fucked y'all they're so fucked they're super fucked it was as my friends in england say that it's you're you're eating yourselves alive and uh Oh yeah, and it but it is and it's heartbreaking too because one it means I can't be there and I we can't all just live our lives and and stuff mm-hmm. like that and and two I have friends who are being extremely hurt by this in the states like I have friends oh, yeah. who are who Me are being too. so hurt by this I can't even talk to them anymore and I don't even know if they have a home and so it's like oh my god like I know they lost a job a while back I knew that things were coming for them like you know and and now it's like I now they're just a wall and it's like I'm worried. I'm worried. I am too. I'm worried. I am too. It it it's uh, yeah. I have friends who are in the same position, and it's oh. like we're losing so many small businesses, um, and nobody has a safety net because, you know, the other thing we like all of our prices, like housing and food and insurance and like everything has just been skyrocketing for decades, and and uh, you know, so we're we're in a pretty bad spot. I would say, I would say American exceptionalism ended a long time ago we were just everybody was just in denial about it yeah yeah but i want to i mean i want to go on record that i like since you know everyone's listening that i still think americans are the best and that whoever's in power and control especially this podcast they're the best everyone's the best you're all the best and i i'm towing the party <laughs> line i'm totally um, towing the party line brought to you by two for one <laughs> <laughs> oh god okay okay let's not talk about politics anymore no but i actually have a way to bring it back to wizardry what is our responsibility if we're just like little if we're like little yodhe vavhe's or little gandalf's running around this sphere of the nuos the nuos What's our responsibility in this besides just putting out expensive books people get mad they can't afford or uh, teaching classes that they get mad they can't afford or doing free stuff that they get mad that they could afford, but they're too lazy to show up. Ooh, man. <laughs> besides from all options. that, those are, no, no those are <laughs> not, you don't actually get to pick any of those options. What, oh, could, I, what I is our I'm responsibility? Do all, <laughs> do all of them. Do all of them. <laughs> What's like, is there responsibility as magicians to how we can help things out? Like our, you're probably not. I'm a much more a, a Enochian person than than mm-hmm. uh, than grimoire person, uh, if that's if that makes sense. And so sense. one of the things that stood out for me is the the opportunity given with the Enochian system to directly impact parts of the planet. 
and without without being too uh, in breach of to be silent, let's just say I'm sort of focused on, um, uh, for lack of a better word, China's concentration camps, because um, because well, like so like I feel that if there's angelic or spirit workings that I can do to maybe help that that. I feel is a noble thing for me to communicate with those angels about, even if all they can do is maybe make any of the people, the the Muslim Chinese Uyghurs in those places, right, find anything like you know, have a longer bathroom break before they get tased because that's a thing, right? Like you know, I feel yeah, like yeah. I feel the Enochian system does allow an avenue for for effective. I don't want to say it's effective change, but magic. I mean, in some ways, mm -hmm. the, the work is the, the the purpose of the work is the work, as it does work on our souls theurgically as well as in the world, in wonders mm -hmm. thaumaturgically. But yeah, what do you see as a, a place that I've magicians? Actually, this is something I've thought about a lot, actually. Um, awesome. I think that uh, there are a few avenues that are important. Um, first, I think that uh, practitioners have a responsibility to be more involved in their community. Um, and this is something that, you know, uh, at least my impression of magic over the years has been a lot of times people who get involved in the occult tend to be sort of, you know, a little uh, antisocial or uh, outcasty or kind of like on the fringes of society and not sort of like more involved, more present but uh but if you look at like the roles that like uh cunning folk played or that healers played or that uh shamans and diviners played in the old days um it's obvious that we had we had you know a role you know we had things that we were supposed to be doing for our community um but in, at the same time i think that we can see from a lot of uh older grimoires that a lot of magic was also sort of geared around like teaching us practical skills so i think that learning important practical skills that can help in your community uh, especially in like disaster preparedness or just sort of like around you know your local area um, i think learning that sort of stuff and getting involved in that sort of stuff is is really important for practitioners you know we're basically like we're basically like amateur priests and so we should be available when people need us. I like that. Um, and then another thing that I think is really important is, uh, and this is something that we see not only in grimoires, but in a lot of uh, lodge-based magic practice, is we're supposed to be working on being better people. And we can see this in a lot of places. Like, uh, for instance, at the end of book one of the Corpus Hermeticum in the, in, uh, the Hermetic prayer that's there, uh, one of the things that Hermes promises God is that he's like, I will go forth and um, help enlighten uh, those who are in darkness, right? So he's basically saying like, I will bring knowledge to people. I won't, I won't hide this. I will help enlighten the world. Um, but you also see these, um, these uh, prescriptions or commands all over the place to do things like, um, eliminate the tormentors of your vice like get rid of vices uh, embrace virtuous acts and do virtuous things and and embrace all of this good that we can do because when you are good part of being good involves like interacting with the world you know you can't be good if you're just holed up in your own little 
house all the time. You have to you have to be interacting with others in order to do good. So I think that those are kind of two things. We have to work on being better individuals, like better in terms of like virtue. And then I think we also need to be cultivating skills um, that make us useful to our communities. Whether those are magical or more practical or some combination of the two, I don't have a good answer for that. But I do think that uh, I do think that we should be here as support. We're like the support folks. Like, yes, we are working on theurgy, but one of the big things about theurgy, you know, like in in Kabbalah, we're all part of the Yahida. You know, we have to head towards that great oneness, mm-hmm. and and that means like everybody around you should be heading there too absolutely yeah i mean does that make sense yeah okay you know it's it's the origin of the word uh, liturgy did you know that um liturgy Mm-mm. comes from liturgia to theu which is so it literally means liturgy uh, a, a common a public work for the common good that's oh. the origin of the word liturgy it shouldn't be locked up behind doors or in inner sanctum sanctorums it mm-hmm. should be available, some form of it should be available for the common good. At Temple Tehuti, we used to go around the downtown east side where it was based and, and give out fruit to homeless people and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We were eventually ordered to stop because we could be poisoning or putting ways to poison. You know, they found a way to stop that, as they often do. They Oh, yeah, because um, all yeah. of you scary Satanists with your scary Satan fruits. <laughs> so far from satanism eh? like so far I from know, satanism like I you know, i know I it's know. so crazy that people still even but even even today people still make that equation and it's, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty funny because it's like yo we sort of take jesus <laughs> we sort of take jesus we changed my... the jewish tetragrammaton so it looks more like jesus yeah, like, we, we like just stuck Mirandola. that sheen right in the middle. You know, my um, my hermetic. We're like it was uh, there all along. You just couldn't see it. <laughs> That's the story. The invisible fire. The invisible fire was the shin, and now we're just like, yeah. Oh. Um, my uh, hermetic lodge, which can't meet in person, so we've we've been doing all of our stuff remotely. Like we all did the. Or this is something that we started doing last year: is the uh, Coptic Handbook of Ritual Power for Epiphany. Oh, cool. Um. And it's a great ritual. Like it is just like the mall of America of barbarous names. Every barbarous name you want is in there. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Um, and it's long, it's pretty long. It's, it's, it, when you print it out, it's only four pages long, but um, so much stuff is like, repeat this seven times. And you're like the whole paragraph. Okay. So, you know, it takes like an hour and a half to get through when you're doing it on your own. Um, but uh, the thing that like really threw me off the first time we did it is there's a lot of Jesus in it. Like you'll be just, just plugging along, going through these barbarous names and it'll stop to like, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, so yeah, like there's, there's a lot of Jesus in magic. I don't think that, I don't think the, um, the Satan fearing people really realize that. I mean, sure, yeah. like in the Coptic Handbook of Ritual Power, you're invoking Jesus like alongside uh, all these pagan gods too. But that's what everybody did back then. You just sort of borrowed. You're like, hey, y'all have a y'all have a god of like uh, rabbits that I can put along with my stew god, and we could like chant the names together and maybe get some rabbit stew out of this magic. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that would be a, that would be something a Dr. Justin Sledge, who's a rabbi, could comment on a lot, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when I was in seminary, they made it very clear that that ancient Israelite religion is centered around Yahweh as it was. We know from graffiti um, that there was a Mrs. Yahweh because there's explicit graffiti oh, yeah. of Yahweh doing things to Mrs. Yahweh. <laughs> it oh, yeah. basically yeah. says so yeah. and so um, you know but that would then, uh, then yeah sure and then we you know we had to get rid of the goddess of course because you know ah patriarchalism but oh, it's because everybody's just so so obsessed with what other people have in their pants yeah yeah i mean yeah gender gender so i i loved i loved that uh lecture uh, at Crowley Mass by uh, the Thelemite who talked, who went back to all of Crowley's stuff and was like, look, this uh, gender thing is silly in the OTO because Crowley was very clear about seeing himself and all of us as uh, the androgene, androgyne, mm-hmm. right? As, as yep, being, yep. you know, and even some, I've, I don't know if I've told you this, but I've said it many times, even in seminary, they told us that one of the first popular churches of jesus in the first and second century that was quickly wiped out was the church of the hermaphroditical jesus and they had statues of jesus with both genitalia this was a very common thing in the early christianity oh we talked about we talked about this we probably last time we bit. probably did yeah i, well, I talked I about you i talked about jesus the hermaphrodite a lot because i think it's awesome and hilarious it's right there along you, with the triphallus hermes and the hermes that has like three penises coming out of his face i love that version oh, of yeah. hermes super kinky <laughs> um and you know about uh, so william blake was part of the moravian church at the end of the 18th century and um the moravian church apparently had these crazy visual visualization techniques or at least William Blake had these visualization techniques that were that were like Jesus sexual where the wound in Jesus's side was like visualized as a vagina and like all of this weird strange stuff um Margaret Keith Shuchard is that her name Margaret Shuchard I believe has a book on this uh called why Mrs. Blake cried and it is a trip you really should look it up it's it's amazing reading and you'll be reading it and you'll be like what the fuck this is crazy stuff awesome it's 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 nuts i'm a Um, big blake fan i love that book fearful symmetry of course is a classic oh yeah yeah uh, is that's northrop fry i think or is it bloom it's bloom right no no that's a tiger tiger that's um that's a poem well, no. Oh, uh, you're talking about a book. The book, Fearful Symmetry. I believe it's either Northrop Fry or Harold Bloom who wrote Fearful okay. Symmetry. Um, Northrop Fry definitely wrote The Great Code, which demonstrates literarily the influence of the Bible on all of Western literature for 2,000 years. So if you haven't read The Great Code by Northrop Fry, it's actually not too big, but it's essential. Oh, I haven't. I will. I'll look that up. Yeah, yeah, you can. It's 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 a mainstay at uh, secondhand bookstores. I'm sure you'll dig one up at Powell's easily. <laughs> oh, you know about our famous bookstore? <laughs> yeah, people keep going to it and not taking me with them. What's up with that? Well, uh, if you if if you're we're ever allowed to have an open border with Canada again, and you can come down to the United States, and we won't give each other the plague. Yeah, 
I hope One solid that happens. I mean, <laughs> our, our growers here have a lot of backlog of bags of supply that to export to Washington. You, know. <laughs> you mean marijuana? <laughs> yeah, the growers here. So we be since the government took control of the marijuana business here, um, of course, they looked at every like the 300 shops in Vancouver that were already open, just paying fines and, and contending with their borderline legality. And they looked at those people who had been doing this so long for decades and decades and were basically the reason that the laws passed. They looked at them and they said, well, we could hire these folks who know how the business works to make it work legally, or we could try and reinvent the wheel ourselves. And that's, of course, what they did. And as a result, they shut down all of those stores, like over 50 of my friends lost their jobs. And then they opened oh. just one or two stores run by like uh, rich pub owners or like Donnelly Group or these other big conglomerate organizations who you know jacked up the prices but as a result the growers and we know we all everyone in bc knows a lot of growers like they're backlogged because they're not selling it fast enough so it created it recreated the street uh the, the street market for weed and it, it dropped the price so like you could go to one of the two shops that are nearby you and spend 14 dollars for a gram or you could now call up just a street dealer and get an ounce for 20 bucks of like some good stuff like for 20 <laughs> bucks i mean that's so crazy that they did that and they recreated the the black market i guess it is it's just the street market of getting mm -hmm. weed and people have gone back to buying weed from their dealers than the than the 200 stores we used to have in town up until legalization in fact we had vending machines you like during that period right before legalization we had vending machines you just go up to a vending machine put in 40 bucks get a half ounce you're on your merry way in a minute that was brilliant. But the government was like, no, 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 that's way too effective at distributing this huge product we want, we've now taxed. We need to sell it really slowly <laughs> so we get as little tax money as I th feel like they're afraid of getting too much tax money from it because then they'd have to put it into education or, oh, that's or improving crazy. our healthcare I mean, system. Here uh, in Oregon, it just went nuts. Like, what the happened? Legal oh, well, you know, Oregon is a really great place to grow marijuana. So basically, there are tons of I heard growers. A rumor. Yeah, it's <laughs> there's a rumor. There are just tons and tons of growers here. And so, like the first year, maybe the second year after legalization, there was just this glut of pot on the market. There was so much marijuana on the market, and you could like, you could get. Uh, I mean, I don't remember what the prices were, but it was really something like from the legal shops, you could get like an ounce for twenty bucks. And they'd yeah. have these big signs out, ounce $20 marijuana. And like you go in and they're basically like selling these huge super fat joints for like a buck each and uh, so many friggin' candies and gummies and so many like weird vape pens of marijuana and and in so many varieties, it's just insane. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, every single marijuana has like its own backstory and its own like superhero name and its own like, oh, this one is good if you're trying to read Shakespeare <laughs> while taking a nap at 2.30 in the afternoon. But this one goes really good with orange juice and scrambled eggs, but not fried eggs. And you want this one over here. But it's like every single yeah, we one got that too. rules. <laughs> Dude, sometimes I've gone to places and they're like, oh, we have an excellent selection. And they'll show us like this row of, of jars. And I'm like, where's the rest? Because like, you know, <laughs> some places like maybe Portland, definitely Vancouver, the way it was, was like rows upon rows upon rows, like hundreds of oh, stones. Yeah. You're like, whoa. And they have that kind of pinpoint accuracy because you, you trust the stoners behind the counter. And I loved it because I would go in, my friends would be working there, but you could just go into the store 
buy a uh-huh. joint for five bucks, yeah. a big one, pull it, they give it to you, you light it, take a puff, and then just hand it to them, and then you both smoke it at the counter, and then you repeat. Rinse oh, repeat. we can't smoke in the stores here. Yeah. But usually when I when I we buy can't anymore, I not go since in and it's I'm like, I will have the green one. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any uh, marijuana that has pot in it <laughs> i heard there's yeah. pot free marijuana <laughs> um, well, yeah the, yeah but it's uh, yeah. it's great so another thing that's nuts is like cbd is entirely legal down here across the country and i don't know how that happened i don't know what what sort i haven't looked to see like what sort of law changed um but now like there are all these podcasts that are advertising cbd things like see CBD. those are the advertisers i should get on my show like you let should. me let me read some cbd ads yeah yeah i'll i'll, I'll, I'll end my sponsorship with the adrenochrome and uh Abramovich. Yeah, it's like two for one adrenochrome cbd injectables <laughs> now i'm never gonna get advertisers um, <laughs> i mean i do thank people for listening to the autom- automated ads that get put in this podcast i really do thank you guys for putting up with oh, do you have it, uh, automated ads automated ads that i that are oh. that are put in and i'm really lucky to be on a platform that lets me do that now because i had troubles before and i've had troubles every platform i go on i have troubles with i i, I ran an ad for my david heimsmith uh podcast through Instagram and Facebook, and they took my money in my account and then terminated my business access to the Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> they're oh, like, I tried they're to, like uh... approved. Here's take the money, canceled. <laughs> and I was like, it's David Heimsmith. You're gonna cancel David Heimsmith? He's like super. <laughs> he's, <famous. laughs> he's yeah, and he's like, he's yeah. not. He's not the kind. He's like not the guy you would see that happening but i'm sure it was just p it was probably just mob playing in general it doesn't matter why because that's yeah i don't know anyway. i mean all of the i tried to promote an episode on facebook or instagram like uh last year sometime and they like approved it they never ended up taking any of my money but they stuck the ad in some kind of like weird limbo and i can't get it approved and i can't delete it and they send me an email like once a month here's how your ad is doing zero clicks zero impressions i'm like no shit i don't really care about that ad anymore i mean the truth is i think uh i heard a rumor that you know zuckerberg and facebook and all these corporations i heard i heard that they're going through a challenging time let's say <laughs> i've heard uh, well, i think i saw something about that on the news yeah something about that like you know testimonies lies massive well the big deal is twitter's being sued in british columbia just down the street from me like i'm gonna go there and cover it actually like so Why they are try they getting sued what oh did, what did because twitter do to be- british columbia now i go yeah right oh no no the reason they're being sued in british columbia is because uh the guy who uh had these defamatory tweets made about him and i shouldn't even say his name I'll say he's associated with the Clinton Foundation and there's a lot of pizza emojis associated with him and stuff okay. like that. But let's just, yeah. so let's, I don't want to get to, but like everyone knows, but like, so, so he wanted, so, so the lawsuit, they tried to move it to California and it had nothing to do with California because he's based here. He's got offices here in British Columbia for the Clinton Foundation. And there's a bunch of other stuff that I've talked about before. So I don't need to talk about it again, but it's like some crazy stuff, of course. But he's trying to have the lawsuit moved. Twitter's trying to have the lawsuit moved because, and and the the Supreme Court of British Columbia said no. They said no. There's this is not a valid reason to move the lawsuit, and they could the which is a huge precedent, which means Twitter might have to reform entirely because they could lose billions of dollars in this lawsuit. Um, and the reason they want to get want it moved out of British Columbia is because we don't have Section Two Hundred and Thirty. 
You don't have any. Section 230. That's the that's the U.S. laws that protect Twitter and Facebook and all these companies by saying that you know my private platform, my private platform, and Mm -hmm. uh, we're not responsible for what comes out, even though we edit everything we don't like. (laughs) You know, right? (laughs) They do because they 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 do. They are pub. They shouldn't. They don't deserve these protections because they do choose who who gets through and who doesn't. Um, they do. Yeah, they do. True. They do. And therefore, they should be therefore responsible for what is said or just go back to it being a town square. That's how it should be. But the problem is that mm. whole that whole debate, that whole issue doesn't exist at all in Canada because we don't got free speech, motherfuckers. Up here, yeah. it's like up here. If you say something, we take you before a human rights tribunal. Oh, were you a comedian on stage making a joke? Too bad. Someone got offended. $30,000. That's why our comedians are like Brian Long are all moving to the United States because they're like, we can't even perform anymore. And Canada's like, that's right. Eh? That's weird. There was... It is super yeah, weird, bro. That's weird. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that that exists. Every right has its um, ups and its downs. And we deal with that all the time down all here. The time. We can't really... It's, it's hard to... Uh, it's hard to pull my brain away from like the American view on how rights are supposed to work and try to understand how it's supposed to go in other countries. It's so nice being back in Canada, man. It's so nice to be back in Canada. It took me a few months to stop talking about all the stuff going on down there. But eventually my family was like, look, you can say one thing about it once a day. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, And now there's days that go by where I don't say anything. I'm like, that's healthier for me. I'm focusing more on, you know, reading grimoires this came in the mail today what'd you um, get what'd you get oh yeah i've got yeah. Um, ash and chassan's gateways through light i mean i've i've looked through copies my friends have had before uh, my buddy jesse has a one of the thousand billion hundred million dollar versions and limited and stuff but yeah, it's I've actually a beautiful ones. book it's a beautiful is, book is with beautiful one? illustrations and uh-huh. you know it's something it reminds me of what we were talking about before with colors i was like you know if i do a book of this quality the only difference I want to do is I want this instead of being like pencil art, which I, which is well done. Again, everyone, everyone clearly mm-hmm. needs to own this book by Ash and Chassan. Oh, um, yeah. It's just a fact, but I, I would have, have a, it do more like Rudolf Steiner one. with like aura colors and the, the watercolors, oh, yeah. the aura light. I want the colors. I want to see those colors because I've never scried anything and seen black and white. Me neither. Me neither. Yeah. Sometimes I've scried stuff in a crystal and seen it as um, mostly the color of the crystal, though. I love how our conversation naturally can very hermetically leap and transgress from one area to another because now we're back to crystals. It's like it's like from, we're we're going from, up and down yeah. the spheres. We we we, we fall narr- back into yeah. Uh, it's it's how hermeticists should flow. We narrowly mm-hmm. avoid we. We, we wings on our feet. We narrowly avoided discussion of pizza game. Now we're talking about drawing spirits into crystals. So share yeah. your wisdom with my audience on that, because I know it's a huge topic that people would love to hear your take oh, man. on. I, I, uh, and I be mean, as specific a, as a, possible. Okay. Well, so, um, I mean, everybody's familiar with, um, the trithemian drawing spirits into crystals first. Published- I think everyone's heard that set. I think okay, everyone's fine. heard that said. I will give a little bit of background about it, uh, especially do. since I was just talking to a scholar about this the other day. So uh, Francis Barrett published this um, this book called The Magus in 1801. Uh, and that book, we're, I'm not going to 
talk about that too much, except that one of the things in this book was this document called Drawing Spirits into Crystals, which was purported to be by Johannes Trithemius, uh, whom I was talking about about an hour ago, and we were talking about one and two-way functions and stuff. And he was um, Agrippa's teacher for those who He was Agrippa's teacher. He was this- And an uh, abbot. He was an abbot um, near uh, Cologne in uh, Köln, Deutschland. Köln. Köln. Köln yeah. Deutschland. Yeah. Shout out, mein Bruder. <laughs> Um, I got a lot but, of German listeners, like a lot. Yeah, they write to, they write to me viele, in German. Oh, yeah, they write. They, viele. On Instagram now, we just talk in German. It's great. Oh, das ist gut. Yeah, I, I abuse them with my strange Viennese dialect. Es ist ein schöne Sprache. Es ist ein sehr ur, es ist ein ur schöne Sprache. Super geil. <laughs> Und ich spreche weird. es wie ein guter Wiener Burschel. Uh, yeah, well, okay, so uh, back to Trithemius. <laughs> Super so, live on. Um, so he outlines this whole method uh, along with like some pretty specifically uh, designed tools, like a weird little thing to hold a crystal. There's a wand, there's magic circles, there's specific prayers. You know, it's it's a short text, but, um, but it's a whole system. And um, it's been used a lot by people over the last uh, 20 years in particular, I think. Um, and it's a way of scrying spirits. Uh, and I like it a lot, but I also, being the sort of like um, hack magician that I am, I'm like, well, I'm taking out the Jesus stuff out of the prayer. Oh, I don't want to make that weird little stand for the crystal because I got this giant crystal ball, so I'm just going to use this. Or sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm just going to use a bowl of water. I'm um, a I'm a water scryer primarily. I yeah, pounded I like out water. an Nostradamus I... bowl out of copper mm -hmm. when I was a teenager. My teacher's like, what are you doing in Woodshop? I'm like, shh. <laughs> yeah, I use a, uh, I use a um, sterling silver bowl. Oh, gosh. I'll trade yeah. you. You can have the no, one I hammered no, out of I mean, copper it's, it's, it's not very 30 big. years it's ago. Little, it's like this big, <laughs> yeah. but it's perfect for like hovering over and you can see candles reflecting in it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that particular method can be used for, it can be adapted for pretty much any sort of grimoire work, right? Like any sort of spirit and grimoire thing. Um, it's easier because you don't need as much of a magic circle set up. You can put the magic circle on like a piece of paper. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that just, it simplifies things. Um, and we don't have any proof that it was actually written by Trithemius. It's possible that Francis Barrett had access to a uh, manuscript that is lost. Uh, because it turns out Francis Barrett, you know, was a student of Edward Sibley, who was a famous late 18th century um, astrologer and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I, I use that pretty often and I use, uh, you know, variations on drawing spirits into crystals for all sorts of stuff. So um, for instance, I'm in this other group that's working through a recently published um, medieval manuscript or late late Renaissance manuscript, probably um, about uh, conjuring the planetary intelligences. And uh, this is it's not a totally complete system, but it's it's close. So we basically took it and we're like, oh, we just plug this into drawing spirits into crystals and we're done. And. I um and we're we're uh, the guy who's leading the group is a um, is a really accomplished uh, astrological magician. So he's electing times for us to do the spirit conjurations, and this is just like 
astrologically speaking, we're still in sort of the shit show part of the century. So it's tough to find really good elections. Yeah. We have using a, using sidereal, not tropical, I imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um and wait, no, we use tropical. Which one is the one that uses the sun? Um ah, I'm confused now. Well, I've the, forgotten. The which... sidereal is where the the constellations and stars are actually at now, and tropical is where they were at when astrology was codified. Oh, right. We use sidereal. But it's yeah. just a twenty-one yeah. degree difference, I believe, if I recall my mother's words correctly. Um so you can all you can, it's very easy just pull it count it back or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Using the ephemeris. Um, but yeah, but uh, so I missed the first um, conjuration, but some of the people in the group sort of like wrote up their experiences and it sounds pretty cool. For some of them, it was their first experience working with uh, drawing spirits into crystals. Intelligences are are interesting. I do have a lot yeah. of experience with the intelligences. Um, See, and... I only really have experiences with them when it comes to like using their sigils and names but I've never conjured them or scried them, uh, primarily because there's not a lot of info out there about them. You know, Agrippa writes about them, but outside of Agrippa, he just kind of mentions them uh, as sort of like counterparts to what he calls the spirits of the planets. So you don't, it, I just, I guess I never really, there was, all, there were, there's, all, there's so much stuff to work with that I just never really got around to intelligences. I was just sort of like, well, I'll yeah. write the name on this talisman. That sounds cool, but. You can only work with so many things. I mean, yeah. that's the beauty of this beautiful smorgasbord of Western occultism is that it's just like literally pick what you want to do in your lifetime because you can't do it all. Um, and not I've, only that, I've you got to remember people were mostly making this stuff up at some point. So you can even make up yeah. your own. <laughs> well, that's where you get into like, you know, that's where chaos magic has come back to remind us of the uh, manufactured nature of of, of reality in the first place. I mean, you right. even see that with neo-paganism and all this stuff just getting mm -hmm. created from people's experiences or armchair manufactured out of thin air and then someone does it and it sort of seems to work for them. And next oh. thing you know, you have a whole tradition. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy how that works. Uh, it's almost it, like reality is sort of somewhat consensual. Or maybe reality is a uh, reality. What's you know. wrong with my legs? You've never used them before. <laughs> there is no spoon. There's no spoon, baby. I mean, yeah. but there also is a spoon. And because we've said there is. And so that's also sort of how this stuff works. I mean, it's true. Be wary yeah, of I thinking mean, it's all in your head. Yeah. I was talking about this last night with Fratter C and stuff. And I said, you know, some of my earlier stuff were, if you listen to me online, it sounds almost like I do come from a psychological model. I'll, I'll say things like, you know, it might even sound like some people have said that I don't even believe really in magic. And I'm like, well, or maybe I was sort of towing part of a party line, you know, like yeah, and maybe, honestly, maybe, cause I don't think actually any of the people with the psychological model actually believe in the psychological model. I think they're just saying that to lower people's expectations and, and not freak them out. And, and that way you can go at it in earnest. And then when you have a non-psychological experience, if there is such a thing, you'll be like, oh, snap, crazy. Yeah. But if I you're going that... for that as the result all the time, mm -hmm. you're going to get discouraged. Uh, 
I don't know that you need to, that I would have necessarily interpreted the stuff you're saying as being part of the psychological model. Oh, no, no, that would be me years ago when I first started talking because uh, I was still or entertaining some hope of going back to work in the church or the university system. And I've now fully given up on that. Like, because while magicians may be amateur priests, like I certainly am not an amateur priest. I went through seminary, I worked for the church. I was there at the St. Augustine's giving sermons every Sunday. Right. I did my, I am a a priest and uh, I, I take that stuff very seriously. It's very real for me, but you know, Mm -hmm. a couple hundred grand in seven years of seminary will do that to you. Um, (laughs) uh so but but i take my magic just as seriously and i think we need to really not worry so much about how we conceptualize things and focus more on the experiences Mm -hmm. i think that's a good way to look at it yeah Yeah, i mean i guess i was just also sort of thinking about how even in some of like the real you know like we have in the hermetica we have all this stuff about how uh you know sensation is a lie (laughs) so that idea is old you know the idea of reality not being the real reality you know it goes back to plato's cave exactly exactly yeah and if you if you really really want to get out of the psychological realm and have some visual physiological experiences that's where uh, entheogens play a, a beautiful role in the spiritual systems that we no one loves. And a lot of them are decriminalized in Oregon. So there you come go. on down. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> they're not all up here, sadly, yet, but like uh, we've never had, uh, we've never illegalized peyote or 5-MeO DMT. That's completely mm-hmm. legal in Canada. People don't realize it. A lot of people I know with a 5-MeO or doing 5-MeO DMT or, you know, same as from the gland of the Sonora Desert Toe, the Bufo, uh, a lot of them are very hush hush about it. I'm like, you know, it's legal. And they're like, what? yeah it's like totally legal <laughs> they're like dmt's legal i'm like no 5-meo dmt's legal which is why i say whenever i'm talking about dmt i obviously mean 5-meo right right yeah. me too yeah yeah <laughs> yeah just like when i talk about mushrooms i actually mean marijuana yeah i don't have to worry about that i'm i'm pretty sure if i talk about mushrooms i'm talking about mushrooms <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm, it's legal for you guys now, so it, yeah, we'll, we'll get great. there. We'll all get there. It, the world is doing a few good things, uh, so amen. Slowly, slowly, slowly inching towards it. <sighs> well, you know, I think that I kind. it's about time for me to get going. My voice is starting to get a little... Uh, uh. Yeah, you, you need to go have your, your daily joint. Yeah, or something. <laughs> so I'm joking. I mean, it's 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 a, uh, it's been great talking to you. I'm really glad we got yeah. to reconnect and stuff. Tell people and about I, how they can find your upcoming courses and and stuff like that. Okay, well, um, uh, almost everything goes through my website arnamancy.com, which is a r n e m a n c y dot com. I've got uh, my courses are on there. My podcast is on there. My blog, which I don't write in as often as I should. Um, and you know, I, I sell books, but they're reasonably priced and I sell my courses, which I think are reasonably priced. They're not like, sometimes I do free stuff, but you know, 
I live in the United States and the government isn't sending me money all the time. So I still need to like pay rent and shit. Hey, I'm not getting the, 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 the government money just to be clear. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I, sh- I should. And I don't know why well, I'll have to do some virtual work on that, but uh, yeah, no, they, they don't make it. They don't necessarily make it that easy, but um, yeah. So you have a full on website that people can find you at. Um, and I mm-hmm. think most occult stuff is massively underpriced massive yeah i agree you know um i uh i wish that i had more money to spend on other people's occult stuff but i i try to you know i also try to like spread it around uh and i'm on patreon but um yeah so just arnamancy.com and then i'm arnamancy on twitter and instagram and baseball and all that good stuff yeah that's how we got in touch is the beautiful good old instagram i mean people can find me there fratter.rc or esoteric ebooks yeah um yeah we're out there doing our thing right like that's what's great we're still just doing our thing i think one of the reasons we price ourselves low these days especially is because there is a an occult revolution happening and what we do want some of us serious people is try to encourage people and shepherd them into a a deeper Mm -hmm. approach and appreciation and understanding and once they're there we have more people to work with and it's good for the community overall and that's that's perhaps one of the greatest things you and i can foster as as participants yeah. in this uh, occult revolution that, uh, you know, will not be televised. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I mean, as we speak the, into um, cameras, right. One of the things that I, that actually I really loved about teaching that intro to sigils class is like so many people would show up and be like, I've never done any of this stuff before. And then I tell them and they're like, this is it. That's how you do it. I'm like, that's how you do it. And then they, go and do it and they start emailing me all these like i made this sigil for blah 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 and i'm just like yes i've made some magicians i made magicians bro you made magicians oh <laughs> like my god like with powerpoint slides i used powerpoint slides to make magicians powerpoint brother that's like next level up i just bro, like hold uh... up sketches i drew on toilet paper i'm like see i drew that <laughs> we can't talk about toilet paper in the united states it's very oh. politicized oh yeah. no damn all right well thank you very much for having shalom me. brother um, and people uh, yeah. can see the video of this on my free cyber guild hermetic mystery school.com the video really? will be there yeah cool i'm glad i did my mustache today your mustache looks amazing wait was that facetious no good i'm treating it literally no it looks amazing was- i'm a fan of mustaches um we just we all do our own thing yeah um no, I, yeah that was, a call, that was a callback you know i was making a yeah, joke i got it the beginning okay. you're just tying you're shoes. tying it all together like Chappelle. yeah you know time is a closed circle or something the serpent's got to swallow its tail otherwise it's just another snake <laughs> exactly all, all right, right. peace profound brother shalom shalom hermetic science enterprises is a publishing company based in scotland uk that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature, as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. 
That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now, hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.